Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, we're studying the series on the greatest sermon ever preached. And this is the 19th message. We're not even halfway, the 19th message in that series. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Jesus said, take heed or beware that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. A little bit shorter passage than usual today, but we get into a new, a new section of the sermon as we in, uh, cross the page, as it were, into chapter 6. At first glance, this sermon may seem to be just another one on stewardship, and maybe you're thinking, Pastor, you just preached on grace giving for missions not that long ago. You're right, we had a wonderful missions conference, and I did prepare us for that by giving what the Bible says about grace giving, and in particular for world evangelization. But maybe you're thinking, are we in financial trouble? Is that why you're bringing another message on stewardship right away? No, 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 no. We're not in financial trouble. You are giving wonderfully. Praise the Lord for it. You'll see that as some uh, quarterly reports come out soon. This message is more about living than it is about giving, mere giving. All of life is a stewardship. Amen? All of it. Our time, our talents, our influence, even the very breath that we have in our lungs right now. Even the brain power we have in our cranium, it's a sacred trust from God. And we will give account of that to Him, be it little or much. And Jesus says right off the bat here in Matthew 6, verse 1, be careful not to do your, and it says alms here, it really means acts of righteousness, I'll say more about that in a moment. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness just to be seen of man. What is he saying? What does he mean by that? He is condemning hypocrisy. Jesus is saying, whatever you do, don't be a phony. If we just do things to be seen of man, if if our life is just made for TV, let me tell you, it's not going to pass muster with God. He can see right through it. And we are so image conscious in our day, a lot of the things we do, even as Christians, is to be seen of men. The last verse of chapter 5 is a natural segue into this new section of Jesus' classic sermon, which emphasizes the hidden nature of true piety. Let's look at verse 48 one more time of chapter 5. Be ye therefore perfect, Jesus said, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now how can we do that? Jesus is echoing three different verses in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible that emphasize being perfect or holy because our Father is holy. Leviticus 19 verse 2 is one of those three. Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. And Jesus is echoing that. 
Please don't lessen the force of Jesus' words by saying that he just, He's just saying, be mature, be complete. Jesus is not saying, be well-rounded like your father is well-rounded. Jesus is not saying, be mature just like your father in heaven is mature. He is saying, be holy, be perfect. That's what we're to aim at, to be just like God. And what does this perfect holiness look like? Surely it must entail more than just external righteousness because that's what he just excoriated the Pharisees for. Their holiness, their righteousness was only skin deep. And he said, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5 verse 20, which if you look upon this, these three chapters as the sermon, Matthew 5 verse 20 is the text. The only perfect human example the only absolutely holy person who ever lived, you know his name, don't you? Jesus. And the reason that he went about doing good, as the Bible says in Acts 10 verse 38, was that he was absolutely good on the inside. The virgin-born Son of God. He did not inherit a sin nature. And may I tell you, that's where righteousness the kind of righteousness Jesus extols here in the Sermon on the Mount, extraordinary righteousness, that's where it must begin. Now, before we go any further, I think I need to explain what might seem to be an obvious contradiction. Does this command here that we are to be secret and hidden about our piety instead of being outward about it. Does that contradict what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16? If you want to turn back there, I'm sure you're familiar with this verse. But in closing out the Beatitudes, Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. But now he seems to be saying, don't be public with your piety. Do it when no one is looking. Kind of do it under the radar. Is there any contradiction here? No, no, I don't think so. The answer rests, the seeming resolution is in examining our motives. Christ does not want us to do a righteous act just to impress others with our spirituality. Amen? That would be taking praise under false pretenses. God alone deserves it. As I've said so many times before, if there's anything original about Bob Vradenberg, it's my sin. If there's anything good about me, it's what Jesus has implanted there. At the same time, we should be conscious of the fact, as we stress in our study of chapter 5 or 16, Jesus didn't say you should be the light of the world. He didn't say you should, you are becoming the light of the world. He said, ye are the light of the world, whether we realize it or not. Moses did not realize that his face shone with the glory of God when he came down from Mount Sinai, but it did. And others could not help but see it. Likewise, the glory of Christ will rest upon us without our doing anything in an ostentatious way as we obey Him. Let's reflect our Lord, but we need to be completely oblivious and guileless about it. God will let others see, but God will make sure that He gets the glory. 
as Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verse 22, there's nothing hid which shall not be revealed. That includes our righteousness. So when others are impressed with your piety, and they tell you that, or it gets back to you, don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. I love to hear members of our military, when they're honored for their heroism and valor, what do they almost to a man or to a woman, for that matter, say, I was just what? Doing my duty. That sounds strikingly similar to what Jesus commanded us in Luke 17, verse 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So let's be good soldiers of Jesus Christ and do our duty, not expecting praise from men. In this new section of Jesus' classic sermon, he emphasizes extraordinary righteousness, but it's to be practiced in ordinary life. You'll see that even more in subsequent verses in chapter 6. And I realize we have some people to baptize at the close of the service. I won't preach quite as long as I usually do. Let me get right into the main points. There are some general principles here laid down, and there are some specific commands issued in the first 18 verses. We'll only cover the first four. But these commands and these principles are there for a reason. That is to ensure that we have the right heart attitude when we perform acts of outward righteousness. God aims for the heart. Son, give me thine heart. So let's look at these general principles. Remember, verse 1 extends to all acts of righteousness or devotion, not just to giving. The verse 1 is introduction to uh, the rest of the chapter. Jesus is not just talking about giving to the poor or to the disadvantaged. We are to take heed about this. We are to really pay attention. We're to beware about this. We're to do it intentionally. Now, how can we do what just does not come naturally to do? Our nature wants the praise of men. How can we deny self in that area and look for the praise that comes from God? There are some underlying assumptions that are really suggested here that I hope you'll really take note of. Number one, we must live consciously in the presence of God. There have been many books written about this. Probably the most classic is a book by Brother Lawrence. I think he was a monk on practicing the presence of God. Very few of these books could I recommend because they really get off into mysticism and people get enamored more with the idea than they do with God Himself. While I cannot recommend the mysticism in the books, I do commend to you the principle behind them. Perhaps there is no truth more profound. There is no truth that has more potential to transform us than are you listening to be conscious of the fact that we live in the presence of a holy God. We don't think of that often enough. Remember Hagar, who became the slave wife, Abraham, the mistress of Sarah. When Sarah was dealing pretty hardly, harshly with her, Hagar, pregnant with Ishmael, ran away. And God visited her by a fountain of water 
And she named that fountain and well of water in the Hebrew what means, Thou God seest me. She felt all alone. Thou God seest me. Oh, that we would think of that every day. In every situation in which we're in. David had the same thought in mind when he cried out in Psalm 139, Whither or where, Lord, shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall guide me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about about me. The darkness hideth not from thee, the night and the day are both alike unto thee. You can run from God, but you can't hide. Because his eyes can pierce the darkness better than any night vision, goggles, or infrared technology. So let's just settle it once and for all. God sees us. God knows us through and through. He knows everything about you, even what you don't realize. The writer to the Hebrews wrote in chapter 4 and verse 12 that God's Word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He went on to say, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. All things. Please don't teach your kids that Santa Claus sees you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake. That's only true of God Almighty. And so whatsoever is not of faith, as Paul said in Romans 14, is sin. All of our sin failures are faith failures. Did you realize that? We fail to realize that God sees. We fail to realize that God knows. We fail to realize that He cares. We don't think about the fact that He rewards or chastens. All of our failures, be they sins of commission or omission, are faith failures. It's so important. It's so fundamental to realize, Thou God seest me. What would happen if we just started consistently practicing that? Practicing the presence of Jesus? I agree with the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, revival would break out. And he believed in revival. He believed some things about the Holy Spirit we're afraid to say today. We'd have revival if we could just practice the presence of Jesus. Marriages would be healed overnight because sham and pretense and pride and self-seeking would be put away. God knows it all, folks. Why don't we just come clean with Him? Why don't we just admit it? Live in the presence of God. There's another underlying truth, principle we need to look at, and that is that the seeking of eternal reward is a legitimate thing. It is commended by God. Three times in this new section, verses 1 through 18 of chapter 6, in verse 4, in verse 6, in verse 18, we read that if we obey Christ's teaching in the prescribed manner, in our giving, in our praying, and in our fasting in particular, that our Father who sees in secret, who has that infrared vision, will reward us openly. He'll reward us. So I ask you, 
Is it wrong? Is it ulterior to seek to gain rewards from God? You may remember I dealt with this briefly when we studied verse 12 of chapter 5, where Jesus said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, there are those who sound very pious, who contend that the Christian life should be lived for its own sake, and that we should neither fear hell nor be enticed by heaven. They scoff at the idea of being motivated by rewards. They say we should be disinterested about that. We should be altruistic. Well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? I hope that's on your heart today. Would you take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26. Hebrews 11, verse 26. Let's see what the Bible says Moses did. In verse 27, I'll take it out of order. It says, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, the Pharaoh, for he endured, he persevered as seeing him who is invisible. But verse 26 gives even more insight into how he was able to do that. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the what, class? The reward. Was Moses ulterior in his motives? Was he immature? Oh, no. The Bible teaches and regards him as far-sighted. He took the long look. And Hebrews chapter 6 emphasizes this, this great, uh, or chapter 11, this great faith chapter in the Bible. It defines faith in the opening verses. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, the title deed of things not seen. And then in verse 6, it goes on to talk to describe faith. Faith is believing, first of all, that God exists, that He is, and that He is a what, class? A rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So let's put away this pious poppycock about, oh, I just serve God for who He is, not for His rewards. Jesus keeps saying in so many words, don't be hypocrite. Don't practice deeds of righteousness to be seen of men but set your sights on a higher reward, the reward of holiness that God Himself confers. I don't know about you, but I want my Lord to say, well done to me. It doesn't really matter where some people will commend me for one message, and then they'll criticize me for the next. So I just get used to that. But I want my Master to be pleased. You've heard the true story, I've told it before, of a violin virtuoso. Don't you love our orchestra, by the way? Those, man, the strings especially have just come alive in the last year or so. Beautiful music. There was this violin virtuoso who gave a flawless concert in a packed hall. At the end of his performance, brilliant performance, the audience stood to their feet and gave a thunderous ovation, and they clamored for an encore. He gave the expected bow of gracious acknowledgement, but it was interesting, he didn't smile for some time. A couple minutes later, he, his eyes penetrated the audience to the back of the packed hall, and he saw a little white-haired man who was slowly nodding. You know who that was? His maestro, his instructor. 
And then he broke out into a smile. Only when his master was pleased was he satisfied. Beloved, we live in a star-crazed society. We love the applause of men. We want our thumbs up and likes on social media. We crave that. We want the rave reviews on our websites. But what is that if the master is not pleased? I'm afraid so often those things fare inversely. It'll all come out, won't it? At the judgment seat of Christ, when that which is wood, hay, and stubble goes up in smoke. Well, let's get into the specific commands here in these first 18 verses, though we'll only cover the first four today. I find it interesting that these first 18 verses find our Savior dealing with what we would call the religious life, our giving, our almsgiving in particular, charitable giving, our praying, we'll get into that next week, God willing, and then our fasting, not much is said about that these days. Then in verse 19, which we'll get to later, Jesus gives a second picture of the Christian's relationship to life in general. There's religious life, and then there's the ordinary life. He talks about food and drink, clothing and shelter, our treasure in this life. So Jesus covers all the bases in this chapter. I hope you're here to hear every message if you possibly can. But today the message is, the instruction from the lips of Jesus, the command is, give anonymously. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Verse 2, therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. Even today we say, don't toot your own horn, don't we? As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Don't advertise your giving to others, Jesus said. That's the clear meaning of His words in verse 2. Now let's face it, that's a little hard to do in our day in society because of the infernal revenue society, right? They get their fingers in the pie and they get their records, and they have to know about our charitable giving. And so we issue a statement for tax purposes at the end of the year. Accurate records have to be kept. We have to do it here. We have to send you, by the end of January, we've got to tell you what everything you gave during the previous year. I'm aware of that. I'm aware the IRS has thrown a monkey wrench into this, but there is much that we can do to abide by both the Spirit and the letter of Christ's directive here. And I'm afraid we haven't thought about this very much in our evangelical circles. We can refrain from announcing our giving. As ministries, we don't have to, and we will not do it while I'm pastor here at Friendship. We will not publish lists of donors. We're not going to have silver, gold, and platinum level people who endow Friendship Christian School or Friendship Baptist Church. We're not going to have lifetime members and patrons and presidents clubs. We're not going to offer a gift for a gift to incentivize you to give. We're not going to appeal to your ego and bribe you to give. And I think there's a lot of 
rethinking that needs to go on in Christian circles about that. Sometimes generous benefactors not only crave recognition, but they expect some clout and control. Randy Alcorn is a great writer on this subject, as well as he has a great book on heaven. You've probably read it. But in his book about money, material, and eternity or something like that, he tells of a board member in a church that was divided over who to call as their new pastor. And this board member said, I poured a lot of money into this church and I intend to get the pastor I want. And we think, we think that's extreme, but it's not really too extreme in our, in our churches these days with the expectations of people. My question when I heard that was, well, he did, did he give that money to the Lord or was he given to what was effectively an annuity fund that would keep paying him back? Oh, beloved, if we practice Jesus' command here about giving anonymously, expecting nothing in return, let me tell you, there's a lot of fleshly divisions that grieve and quench the Holy Spirit that would be averted. And after all, isn't this the Christ-like thing to do? Doesn't He give us salvation absolutely free, without money, without price? There's nothing that we have or, or, or are that could commend ourselves to Him. We have to come just as we are without one plea, but that His blood was shed for us. We have nothing to give Him. We are beggars, bankrupt spiritually. Even the best we can do, our very righteousnesses are as filthy rags in His sight. We stand in Him freely forgiven if we're saved at all, accepted in the Beloved, not accepted in our own abilities and accomplishments. And so Jesus says in Matthew 10 verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. Do it without ostentation. And then Jesus says something else that's staggering. In verse 3, which is one of the most obscure and neglected verses in the Bible, certainly misunderstood, he says in verse 3, but when thou doest alms, when you do your charitable giving, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Obviously, this was an idiom well understood in Jesus' day, just like don't sound a trumpet before you was well understood. But it's not quite as understood in our day. What did he mean? Was he saying that to be uncoordinated between our left hand and our right hand is a virtue? Mm, not really. He's saying this, not only don't announce your giving to others, don't announce it even to yourself. You say, Pastor, that's hard. That's, that's impossible. Don't we have to know what we're giving? I mean, even if we don't write the check ourselves or access our online banking we let somebody else do it, don't they have to do it with our authorization? No, I would say yes, that's true. And you know, if we're not careful, we can be secretly filled with pride over the fact that we are not being ostentatious before others in our giving like the Pharisees are. Oh, how subtle pride is, amen? And when we get, fall prey to that subtle pride, we become like another Pharisee that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 18 when He gives the parable of the, uh, the Pharisee and the publican. And that Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, or at least he thought he was praying. I, I don't think his prayer got any higher than the ceiling of the temple. When he said, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are. 
when you talk that way, you just ruined it. You just exposed yourself. I think that I'm not like other men are. And he deprecated the publican in the other corner of the temple. In short, we, we just do things, we need to do things as we are moved by God and are led by the Holy Spirit, and then forget it. We don't keep spiritual ledgers. We don't keep P&L accounts in our life. We don't break our arm trying to pat our back. And the only way we can possibly fulfill this command, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Are you, so, are you listening to me? The only way we can possibly do that is to be so filled with love for God and for our fellow man that we have no time to think about ourselves. May God help us not to be unduly self-conscious, but to plunge ourselves into the work to which He has called us, counting not our lives dear unto ourselves, placing no stint on what we will do or give for the Master. Sometimes we look at what we've given, we think, oh, that's enough to give in that direction. Really? What if God wants us to do more? Third thing, and then I'm done, expect God to reward you openly. In verse 4, Christ implies that this expectation will be present if we would give in the way He prescribes, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret Himself shall reward thee openly. He says almost the same words in verse 6 and in verse 18. I'm thankful that the good old KJV gets it right here. A lot of the other translations leave out the word openly or publicly. But the Greek word phaneros is there. He will reward us openly. It's found 21 times in the New Testament. It's always translated something like this, openly, publicly, manifest, outwardly, or even spread abroad. This is an outward thing, folks. Consistently translated this word. And what a contrast to the private acts of piety that we are to do. God will honor us before men. He will place His mark upon us. Remember what He said, Jesus said in verse 45, we've already covered this, I know, but He said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you in verse 44, verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Do we become children of God? Do we become born ones because we love our enemies? Oh, no. We're not saved by works. But the word for children there is the word huios. It's not the word technon in the Greek, which means born ones. It is the word huios, which means one who resembles his father. If you want to resemble your father in heaven, you better love your enemies. If you want him to reward you openly, you better give not to be seen of men or even to, be, to know yourself what you're doing. God will own that which closely resembles Him. He is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 3, if any man love God, the same is known of him. He won't have to get on a soapbox or on a platform and sing, oh, how I love Jesus, though there's nothing wrong with that song. The man who loves God truly and from his heart, it will show. So when it comes down to this, whose praise would you rather have? 
Whose reward would you rather receive? Man's or God's? Because if it's man's and you get recognized on the silver club or the gold club or the platinum club and your name is put on a building before you even die, you've got your reward. Don't look for anything more from God. I mean, it's one and done. But if you have an eye single to God's glory alone, then you can expect some rewards commensurate with His nature. Remember, you don't need to keep account of your charitable gifts and deeds. You know why? God is. Even a cup of cold water given in the name of a disciple will not go unrewarded. Have we got to where we just feel good about the fact God's keeping score? Now, God may reward you in a different currency from the one you gave in. And He doesn't always settle settle His accounts on Saturday night. He may make you wait so that your love is perfected in Him alone. After all, I hope we're not serving Him for His gifts, but we love the giver. I've alluded to this a few times in my 22 years here, but not very often. I grew up in a very poor family. My twin brother and I were the oldest of eight children. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked for a Christian organization. He didn't make a lot of money. Looking back now, I don't know how we made it. I went to public school. We had no Christian schools to go to in the town when I was growing up. My mother bought these 24-ounce loaves of day-old bread from the thrift store, five for a dollar. And every day I had the same lunch. Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Now, that sounds good today, but let me tell you, this was imitation peanut butter. It wasn't even the real thing. And she got that biggest old jar I'd ever seen of it for under a dollar. That's what I had for lunch. Every August, I got two new pairs of dye, the colored J.C. Penny permapress jeans. And they better get me through till next August because I wasn't getting no more. I got a pair of Jeepers, the canvas tennis shoes that J.C. Penny put out. We almost never ate out. If we got to go to McDonald's, we were ecstatic. My dad put up a, a backboard for a basketball goal that was a, a skid from, where, uh, from a, what the paper came on at the Sword of the Lord where he worked. It was a good backboard. We got it up vertically, I'll put it that way. It was exactly 10, the rim was exactly 10 feet high. And the guys from the neighborhood would come over and we would pound that ground. It was flat as it could be. I bet grass is not growing today where we played basketball. And that basketball would get so thin and bald you could see the air 
that inflated it. We were poor. And people would come up to my dad and say, Charlie, and smile real bit, you're so rich. And he knew what they meant. He knew they were referring to Psalm 127, verse 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is, is His reward. And he and mom were rich in children that honored them and that honored the Lord Jesus Christ. And God rewarded them openly. Not in the same currency. Their reward in heaven will be great. Beloved, our fallen natures just crave the praise and appreciation of men. If we're going to resist that, we're going to have to do it intentionally. How can we do that? I just throw two things out and we're done. If, if you study this chapter, this is the only conclusion you can come to. Number one, be satisfied with the fact that God sees and knows. He's keeping score. And secondly, be patient with the timing of his rewards. May God challenge our hearts about that today. Not just in giving alms, giving money, but in anything we give and do for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you that you see everything. Not just our hidden sins, our besetting sins, but you see our hidden acts of righteousness. You see our motives behind them. You try the heart. Please help us to freely acknowledge what you already know about us. We confess that we're sinners. We have no righteousness of our own. We're bankrupt in that column. Unless you credit the perfect righteousness of your dear Son to our account, we're without hope. Nothing less will satisfy you. Oh, show us our utter need for what you alone can give. Help us to be satisfied with that. In Jesus' name.